0: Uh, could everybody please turn their Bibles to Philippians four thirteen? Um, you can follow along if you want, but uh, so I'll be reading Philippians four thirteen. So here it says in the passage, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." So uh I'd like to open in a word of prayer. Uh so uh, I'm just going to open in a word of prayer. Uh Lord God, thank you for bringing all of us here today for the Watch Night service and, uh, uh, and during and New Year's Eve. I hope that everybody has a great New Year's Eve uh, New Year's in 2024 and I hope that the remaining men coming up will have a uh, will preach their sermon really really great to, uh so can spread so can spread their word and God's word in Jesus name I pray. Amen. So, every day I am challenged with I'm most of the time challenged with something new, whether that is chores or a new assignment from my school. But most of the time, I try to finish these new challenges by myself rather than seeking God's power. So, what uh, one funny thing is um, during today when uh, when Pastor was uh, preaching his word, I actually uh, found out that uh, he was using the same verse that I was going to use in my sermon. <laughs> So, for anyone taking notes, um, I'll be going over two points, and this is um, these are these two points are uh, I'm going to contrast between. So, my first point is we shouldn't be dependent on ourselves when living for God. A common mistake that we that we as a church and many Christians make throughout their lives when living for God is relying on themselves rather than God when living our lives. For example. If we look at the Bible uh, figure of King Saul, who, as he got older in his reign, would start to rely on himself rather than God. Instead of listening to God, he listened to himself and did what he wanted to do. And this mentality eventually led to his downfall as a king. I have many times in my life when uh, I've been like King Saul, when I relied on myself rather than God's will. For instance... When I was younger, I had a strong friendship with a boy my age in school who was Catholic, and I had a thought in my head one day from God to invite him to a service in our super church to help him become a Baptist Christian like me. But I never got around to inviting him to a super church class as I was scared of what he would think of me and me and him as friends. So instead of inviting him, uh, I, I just uh, let it sit, and eventually we're not really friends anymore. So and uh, so, with that, um, God, uh, instead of using uh, God's will, I just thought of my, I just thought for myself. Instead of uh, God, uh, letting God to be to work on him during that ser- uh, to uh, to invite him to a service, and letting him start his true Christian journey. So my next point is: uh, we should rely on God rather than relying on ourselves when living for God. A role model that uh, for relying on God rather than ourselves is Moses. For reference, the 10 plagues is an example of Moses trusting God. As every time Pharaoh would refuse or rethink the decision of letting the Israelite slaves go, Moses would depend on God to pressure the Pharaoh into freeing the slaves. Another example of Moses depending on God is when he parted the Red Sea. Moses did not rely on himself to part the Red Sea. Instead, he relied on our Lord God who gave him the power to part the Red Sea. And uh, God, God is our Savior and is the reason why we even are here today and still living. So, um, sorry this is a short message, but to conclude, we cannot live for ourselves or God by our own will. We should live for God by his will, guiding us along the way our Christian journey. We need to avoid the example of King Saul as he later, uh, uh, as we got older, but and be more like Moses. And even more importantly, we need to become, we need to be like Jesus. And even though Jesus wasn't perfect, he's still depending on God all his life. Uh, thank you. That's all I have. Thank you for all. Thank you all for listening to the sermon. Amen.
1: Numbers chapter twenty-two. Numbers chapter 22, and we will jump right into it. Numbers chapter 22 and verse 22. And God's anger was kindled because he went. This is talking about Balaam. So the he is Balaam. God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. So right here we have Balaam. So we can imagine Balaam in the morning, you know, we can say, okay, he probably woke up. He was having a great day, you know. He probably did his thing, he stretched, he said, you know what, this is gonna be a great day, I'm gonna go to where I wanna go. Where he wanted to go was he was gonna go to another kingdom and he was going to curse the Israelites and he was going to get paid a lot. So Balaam, he's thinking, this is gonna be a great day, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do my job and I am gonna get paid and this is gonna be great. But God, he had a different plan. So as we read, God's anger was kindled against Balaam and God, he set an angel before Balaam's path. So where Balaam was going, there was going to be an angel blocking Balaam's path. And this was an angel with a flaming sword. So this angel was going to destroy Balaam. Now Balaam, as you can imagine, he had no idea what was waiting for him at the end of this path. So at the end of this path, there's an angel that's going to destroy him. But Balaam, he's none the wiser. He's just saying, okay, this is great. I am going to go do my thing everything is going to be great. So he grabs his stuff, he packs up and he grabs his donkey and then he starts traveling. He's riding his donkey. Everything is going well. Balaam is none the wiser, but all of a sudden he gets to this point and the donkey doesn't want to go any further because you see the donkey sees that there's an angel with a flaming sword. Balaam, he doesn't see the angel. All Balaam sees is an empty path. So the donkey sees that there's destruction ahead. Balaam He doesn't see anything. So Balaam's here. He's on his donkey. The donkey's like, nope, I will not go any further. But Balaam, he says, what are you doing? Let's go. But the donkey says, nope. So Balaam, he gets angry. So God is angry at Balaam. Now Balaam, he's angry at his donkey. So he takes, he hits his donkey and he shows his anger and his frustration. Now we can see that Balaam, his path is blocked. So God, he had intended to, destroy Balaam here, but he also gave Balaam a way of escape. You see, God stopped the donkey before Balaam reached the angel. So when we think about it and we think about ourselves, now we have to ask, what does this have to do with us? So let's look at it. Sometimes, you see, when we look at Balaam, he was completely going a way that was opposite from God. When Balaam was traveling, he was traveling away from God. He wanted to curse the Israelites. As you can imagine, that's probably not In God's will. That's not what God wanted him to do. And obviously God sent the angel to stop Balaam. But when we look at ourselves, we can say sometimes God blocks our path. Maybe we're doing something wrong, but maybe we're not doing something wrong. And we have our path blocked. And sometimes we get to a point and we say, I can't go any further. What's going on? Why is God stopping the way? Why is God blocking the path? See, sometimes there's destruction ahead, but we can't see that. So God stops us. He blocks us. But we can't see. So just like Pastor White said, sometimes it's not what happens to you, but it's how you respond. And when we see in this situation, Balaam, he responded badly. He responded with anger. He lashed out at his donkey. All the donkey was trying to do was save his life and save his own life. But Balaam, he responded poorly in this situation. So when we think about faith, faith is something that it's easy to say that we have faith. When everything is going well, we know that as Christians we can say, okay, faith is easy to have. We should probably have faith. Faith is, it's really simple, it's really easy. We should all have faith. But faith is a lot harder when you actually have to use it. Faith is a lot harder when you come to a situation where you need to actually present your faith and you need to actually trust God. It's a lot harder to have faith. And As an example of this, we can turn to 1 Samuel in chapter 13. And this is Saul. So Cody, he brought up Saul before. So we see Saul here, 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 5. And it says, And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves, and in thickets, and in rocks, and in high places, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. And he tarried seven days according to to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. So Saul he is here in a situation. So there's the Philistines who are blocking Saul's path. So the Philistines are here and as we read there's many Philistines. They are a mighty army. They are very terrifying and they are scary. And then we have Saul over here. He's here with the Israelites and As we read, the Israelites, they were trembling and they were afraid. So in the the passage we just read, Saul, he had to wait seven days and then Samuel was going to come and Samuel was going to come and save the day. So Samuel, he was going to come and offer an offering to the Lord and the power of God was going to come and it was going to help the Israelites. So all Saul had to do was wait seven days for Samuel, but he didn't just have to wait. He had to wait as the leader of an army who was terrified and who was distressed. So we can imagine that Saul, the first day he's waiting, everything is okay. The second day he's waiting, you know, maybe he's a, he's a little bit more distressed, but everything is okay because Samuel, he's still not here. He's still, he's still got five days left. And then the third day he's waiting, now, you know, maybe he's starting to get a little bit antsy, starting to get a little bit panicked. The fourth day, now he's starting to say, okay, this could be a problem. But, you know, we still got three days left. Samuel, he's going to be here. The fifth day comes, Samuel's not there. The sixth day comes, Samuel's not there. And then the seventh day comes. So you can imagine Saul, what Saul's feeling. Because he has the army here of Israel who's looking to him for leadership and guidance. And Saul's saying, okay, we just got to wait for Samuel. Samuel's going to be here the seventh day. We have the Philistines over there who are trying to attack Saul. And now Saul, he's in a situation. He's saying, okay, this is the seventh day where Is Samuel. So we can see here that now we can see whether Saul's going to have faith or whether he's not going to have faith. And sometimes we come to situations where we say, God, why is this happening to me? God, this is not fair. God, why are you doing this to me? God, why did you put me in this situation? God, what are you doing? God, I don't understand what's happening. God, where are you taking me? God, where are you leading me? And see, we're like Saul. We're in a situation now, and we can say, our problems are over there. Everything is back here. It feels like we're being overwhelmed. It feels like we don't understand what's happening. But this is where faith comes in. This is where our faith is tested, and we can say, okay, are we going to trust God, or are we not going to trust God? Because it's easy when you have no problems, when life is going well, when everything is fine, it's easy to say, okay, we can have faith. We can trust God, but now when you're in the middle of something and there's a problem over here and there's a problem over there and everything feels like it's going to overwhelm you and deadlines are crashing in. Now it's harder to say, can I trust God? Can I have faith? Do I have faith? This is where your faith comes in now. And from here, unfortunately, Saul failed. His problems, they overwhelmed him and he said, okay, Samuel's not here. I'm going to take it into my own hands and I'm going to do the sacrifice myself. And ultimately, just like Cody said, Saul, he trusted in himself more than he trusted in God. And just like Pastor White said before, it's not what happens to us, but it's how we respond. So when we think about ourselves, are we going to respond like Saul? Are we going to respond like Balaam? Or are we going to respond in faith? And are we going to trust the Lord? Are we going to trust God?
2: Well, first of all, I would just like to thank Pastor White and the church family for giving me an opportunity to preach my word and uh, the other guys to preach what's on their heart. Uh, first of all, could I please ask you guys to turn to Second Timothy one seven? Uh, you can just follow along; you don't need to um, say it with me. It says in Second Timothy one seven, "For God hath not given us the spirit of fear." but of power and of love and of a sound, mind. a sound mind. Please bow your heads for a word of prayer. But Jesus, thank you for this wonderful day you've given us. Thank you for an opportunity for uh, us guys to uh, preach the gospel and preach the word. I just pray that um, you would speak through me, and if it be your will, Lord, that the audience will uh, get something from my message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One common theme and trend that I notice as a Christian is that we are the standard of what our friends and co-workers think a Christian is. Furthermore, since we are the standard, general questions regarding Christianity from our friends, co-workers, or maybe anyone in general who knows you are born again Christians tend to rise. In addition, our friends seek and ask for biblical points of view, which hopefully we can supply. And that in itself is not a bad thing. In fact, it is a good thing, because they are not going to external outlets outlets which do not use the Bible as their primary source of information. In contrast, the issue does not lie with our friends asking us questions, but it is us not taking the initiative to tell them first. You see, more often than not, our friends or coworkers bring up the topic of Jesus more than us, and that is where the problem resides. If you see the need, take the lead. Mark 16.15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every, uh, to every creature. It is our reasonable service to go and tell everyone about the gospel. On the contrary, it seems flipped, due to the fact that non-believers bring up the topic of Christ more than us. The, this reason, this may be the fact today, is that we fear that we will get judged, made fun of, or even get punished. You see, going back to the text of 2 Timothy, the context of that verse speaks about the Apostle Paul. During the time of that verse, the Apostle Paul was in a Roman prison, being held and chained up. He specifically wrote to Timothy to encourage and to tell him to trust in God and depend upon him. As it says in the verse, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. A lot of times we depend on our own strength to handle difficult or messy situations, and we forget our greatest outlet that supplies us with everything, God. We need to rely on God for power, as it says in the verse. Our worries about being made fun of, we just need to give it over to God even if we may be punished for obeying our Lord's command. We know that God is sovereign and in control. Although one key thing that I think that we forget, which is very important, is that he is a good God. This means whatever may come toward us is not meant to hurt us, but to build us up. There, there would be problems if God was not good. He would not care for our well-being But you see, that is not the case as it says in Romans 8.28. It says, which I know, oh, sorry. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. This is a testament to God's goodness and that although we may fear that we will suffer persecution, it will all work together for good, as it says in the verse. Due to that fact, that God has not given us the spirit of fear and power and of, and of love and of a sound mind, we could always trust in the Lord. So I'd like to challenge you this, and also for myself, that we should bring up the gospel more often than, than others, and to give our worries over to God and rely on his powers, for he is sovereign, but he is also good. We cannot, for the reason that if we are supposed to be the world's light, We cannot let it be hidden under a bush. We just have to let it shine. Thank you.
3: Good evening. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Jonah. And we'll be reading Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. So, Verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, That great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Well, when we think of Jonah, we often commonly think of the children's story, Jonah and the whale. But there's so much more further beyond that. Not a lot of people think about perhaps Jonah and the Worm or Jonah and the Great Wind. Maybe they don't make us such impressive children's story titles, but we can learn something with each of these circumstances. There's so much more that God can show us with the book of Jonah. And before I continue, would you like to say a word of prayer? Uh, Dear Lord, I'd like to thank you for this opportunity you've given me to preach, Lord. I'd just like to thank you for all the previous men who preach as well. May you please just help me to rely on you, Lord, and not my own power. And may you please be with the rest of this uh, watch night service. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we, uh, Jonah uh, went to Tarshish rather than Nineveh, which is around... Uh, Tarshish being around 2,500 miles west of Joppa compared to Nineveh, which is 500 miles northeast of Joppa. And with compared to... Uh, that's a long way. <laughs> well, what can we learn from Jonah running away from God? Well, notice with me, firstly, the importance of surrender. Well, why is it important to surrender? One of the biggest reasons is because we're simply commanded to. In Romans 12.1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The problem we have with becoming a living sacrifice is that we're always able to crawl off the altar. Well, the first sacrifice you make is generally easy. Maybe we hear a really convicting message or uh, we go to Teen Camp or CNC Retreat or one of the big church events like a revival service or missions conference or perhaps the upcoming Preacher's Delight. It's really easy to make a decision to devote ourselves to God. And you see, the book of Jonah is not actually the first work of Jonah as uh, of his ministry. You can actually see um, the beginning of Jonah's mystery in uh, 2 Kings 14.25, uh, where he's, um, where he's uh, prophesying during the reign of Jeroboam II. And so we, we see here that Jonah's already doing his work of a prophet, and before the Lord told him to go to Nineveh. However, um, after the Lord comes to Jonah with his plan to go to Nineveh, we can start to see Jonah crawling off the altar. The city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was the nation which brought the northern kingdom into captivity. So you might imagine that Jonah didn't really like the Ninevites, especially um, yeah, the Ninevites. So with his, with his hatred for the Ninevites and in an attempt to escape God, uh, Jonah decided to disobey by boarding a ship in the opposite direction. And although Jonah started off his ministry quite well... We can see even Jonah has problems of incomplete surrender. And it, gets, it even gets to the point where Jonah, uh, Jonah decides it's better for him to drown in the Mediterranean Sea rather than um, preaching the word and following the will of God. We can see that he'd rather be thrown overboard rather than preaching to the Ninevites. And now we find ourselves here with Jonah in the belly of the whale, which brings us to our second point, the importance of repentance. In Jonah chapter 2, we can see that Jonah's saying this great statement. And we can begin to see God work in Jonah's life in verse 4 of chapter 2, where it says, Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Jonah realized that God is not done with him yet. Otherwise, he would have just let him drown. Jonah realized that God has given him a second chance. And if you look in verse 9, it says, But well, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah realizes that salvation is of the Lord. Jonah doesn't get to choose who gets to hear the gospel message. He doesn't get to handpick who he gets to witness to. Jonah realizes that if it's the Lord's will to reach the people of Nineveh, then he would need to be the willing one to go preach to them. We see that after Jonah repents and realizes that God has given him a second chance, he doesn't waste any time after getting onto land and goes to Nineveh immediately after. So now Jonah's preaching Nineveh in chapter 3 and telling the people that in 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. And with this uh, message that he gives, the Ninevites actually repented. And we saw that uh, Jonah had a change of heart in chapter 2, but we can also find something changed in chapter 4, which brings us to the last point, the importance of eternity. In Jonah 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. You see, this is one of the reasons why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Jonah actually didn't want to see the Ninevites repent. In fact, he still wanted to see Nineveh destroyed. Jonah was so caught up with what was happening here and going on here and now that he completely forgot about the importance of eternity. In verse 6 and 7 we find, And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote that, uh, the gourd that it withered. We can see that throughout the rest of the chapter, Jonah was so caught up with what was happening to him at that moment in time that he cared more about the gourd, a withered gourd, rather than the 120,000 people that he saved from God's destruction. Well, however, we ourselves need to be careful not to do the same as Jonah. Sometimes even we can go through a similar process that uh, when it comes to sharing the gospel to others. One important thing that we can derive from the life of Jonah is that God is not only interested in our obedience, but he's also interested and cares about our attitude. Sometimes when we go soul winning, we find ourselves doing the bare minimum, only engaging in the most basic of conversations, handing out a track and leaving the door before the other person can get a word in. We see ourselves going through the motions just for the sake of doing it. Sometimes you don't even consider witnessing to the people around us, the people who are even sometimes just the closest to us. Perhaps it's friends, classmates, coworkers, or even family members. Maybe we think that they might not be interested, or maybe we might even be like Jonah, where we completely and deliberately avoid them. You see, if I was in Jonah's shoes, I would have I not included chapter 4 in a book that I wrote. Personally, I would have just ended it at chapter 3 where Nineveh was repenting and it stopped before me saying it was just better for me to die. But every word in the Bible is equally inspired and chapter 4 is there for a reason. The importance of eternity is something that we should not forget so easily. Because in the world that we are in, we are fully surrounded by unsaved people every day. Eternity is inevitable. Each person will face eternity somewhere when they die, whether it be in heaven or in hell. The life of Jonah is just more than Jonah and the whale. To continue... Yeah, so there's so much more that we can learn from the life of Jonah. And fortunately, we don't have to experience what Jonah had to experience. We must remember the importance of surrender. To continue past the first sacrifice and to offer ourselves daily to the Lord. We must remember the importance of of repentance and that God is not just a God of judgment, but he's a God of love and a God of second chances and that he's not just done with us. He's still able to use us. And lastly, we must remember the importance of eternity. We must be soul conscious and realize that there are lost people that surround us every day. So let's not forget these important lessons from the life of Jonah. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.